Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Dominic Christopher, how are you? I'm doing great, Graham Nye, Jason. See, I got good. it this time. Wow, good on you. I know. It's like or should I have said Nye, Graham, Jason? Jason oh, that's maybe right. that's not good enough. I don't, I don't know. know. We're, going, tell. we're going full Yoda today. <laughs> Excited I am not. <laughs> hey, you know what I really liked about our last episode we had with Tom Osdebun? The fact that we have a cool new title for people who are like, you know, a part of the gang. The friend of the lab. Friend of the lab. Oh, yeah. Come on. You liked it at first. No, I did like it. I really, you really, did. I like the friend of the lab. Friend of the lab. <laughs> I really. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you like the friend of the lab. Friend of the lab. Okay. I, I think, you know, it's funny because it was like, you know, when things are funny, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then a second time, it's like, hmm. it's called in economics, the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Is it kind of like when you tell a joke and then you, the punchline doesn't really get there and then you do it again and then because you had to do it again, yeah. it's inherently not funny? It's related to that other problem, which is laughing at your own joke before you get to the yes, punchline. Yes, I know. I, you're saying, you're, didn't you say your dad, my used dad did that all day long? <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of funny, but anyway. I know. Yeah. I know. I do that sometimes too. Look, and then I, I think, oh, that's so lame. Why am I, I doing that? Look, I like the jingle. I love the jingle. Uh, okay, good. Well, I, I'll try not to overuse. It. Or, by the way, speaking of that, have you ever been in, in front of somebody who hits the, it's usually at a cocktail party or something, they hit the punchline, it doesn't go anywhere, they pause a second, they hit it again, mm-hmm. and then they pause, and then you're like, oh, no, no don't do it, don't yeah. do it. And then they, and they go three, and, and they get in there a third time. You, cannot, you can't get back from that. Like, how do you? No. And as, as someone observing, it's like, oh, buddy, I, I could have got yeah. you after the first. <laughs> you were iffy on the second, but on the third, there's no life drafts. There's no life jackets. No, You're just going to no. drown out there. I'm going to go to the bathroom. See ya. The tumbleweed blows by. <laughs> People look at their watch. Oh, I got God. a thing. Yeah, I've got a thing. That's right. Okay. Yeah, all those giants, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Jason, I really am looking forward to getting to this interview with mayoral candidate Art Chang for mm-hmm. New York City. He's got all sorts of great ideas that are really interesting. That leads me to the big question of what's the quiz for today? <laughs> it's the fullest democracies and the most authoritarian regimes. Ooh. Ooh. All right. So here's what I'm going to do, though. I'm going to give you a little bonus. This is going to be a little different. Mm -hmm. There's five. So there's this group called the, you you know, the publication, The Economist. Big words. Big big words. Really thick magazine. That's what you want to read when you try and impress someone in a waiting room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you ever want to uh, apply for a job at like UNICEF or something, there's, there's, uh, there's ads in the back for that. Well, they have this intelligence unit that does a democracy index. Here are the criteria. It's electoral process and pluralism, the functioning of government, political participation, democratic political culture, and civil liberties. So, can I, if you had, yeah, I've got to pause just before we came on air. Now, this is really creepy, and I hope everyone listening to this knows that coincidences are real and you can manifest your life. I just mm. got watching a Senate inquiry here in Australia by a former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who is pushing for a royal commission 
into the impact of the Murdoch family in media in Australia. So they own most of the media assets. And I'm saying this right. because he referenced this study. And I'm saying no. this because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon I'm going to get at least one answer right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, it's well good. It's so amazing. It, but what it means is that I should have done this thing with you a few days ago. Exactly. So that you couldn't get on this. Okay. Exactly. So, so what I'm going to do is there's a top five, but I'm going to give you six. Okay. Because I'm a generous guy. You are. Most of the time. Oh, I'm- All right. So we'll do, let's do <laughs> top five first and then we'll do the most authoritarian regimes and that's the top five but i'll give you six there take a shot top five democracies give me give me five democracies I, i'll keep track um five okay you don't have um, to do it in order just give me five okay. five democracies yeah. i would say yep. england france germany japan korea you get one more because there's five but i'm giving you six australia but i don't think it is australia because i think we can yeah. at seven so you're a hundred percent wrong <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Four university degrees. No yeah. idea what he's doing. Somebody was just getting ready to pass along our latest episode because they're like, you know, these guys are pretty, pretty smart. smart. And they're like, uh, maybe not. Okay, can I have okay, another go? go. Okay, you, you got yeah. No, you don't get another go. All right, here we go. Number five yep. is Denmark. Uh, uh, see, you're, you're doing the, yeah, mm, okay. Four. Norway. New Zealand. Mm. Three. Sweden. Yep. Two, Iceland. Yep. One, Norway. Typical. U.S., just out of curiosity, right? 25. Is Australia 7 or 11? Australia is 9. 9, yeah. You make the top 10. Yeah, just. That's why I deliberately didn't do the top 10. (sighs) So, yeah, not, you know. Now we're going the other, we're going dark. Yeah. Ready? The Mm -hmm. most authoritarian regimes. You get six picks, I got the top five. Okay. In my back pocket here. China, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Bhutan. <laughs> Was that six? You really cracked that off. I, <laughs> I was thinking of scary countries. <laughs> yeah, those, those, those are pretty scary. Uh, but I, I don't, I think you're 100% wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's number five. Yep. Chad. Oh, that's a bad one, right? Yeah, not my friend Chad. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, country yeah. Chad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four, Syria. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of undeniable. Three, Central African Republic. Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. Number two, Congo. Yep. And number one, North Korea. Of course. Yep. The king. Yeah. The king of authoritarian okay. regimes. I didn't know Okay, like so that. you're, no, I know, you're not, I, I don't want to take the spirit out of you. Yeah, it's okay. It's oh, okay. It's, oh. It's, it, oh, I can't say I'm speaking of spirits because we have a different commercial. <laughs> Damn it, I screwed up my transition. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. Do you believe in spirits? Like booze or ghosts? Really? It's always grog and ghosts with you, isn't it? What I mean is the essence of something. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we have a spirit down here in Australia. Really? So like Bundaberg rum? Enough, my barmate. The spirit of Australia is, in fact, Qantas Airlines, our new sponsor. Well, that's been their tagline since the beginning of time. Oh, that's right. The Recombobulator Lab is now proudly sponsored by the safest airline in the world. You betcha. Now, John Travolta was their famous front man. He's a big pilot guy and had a vintage 707 he'd fly around. It featured in Rain Man. And they never fall out of the sky, which is super important for me when I choose an airline. And they offer organic hot chocolate and Tim Tams, a quintessential Australian biscuit. 
or cookie, as you say, even in cattle class, where I do all of my traveling, sadly. So when we've beaten the pandemic to a pulp, fly Qantas and feel the spirit of Australia. All right. So this week on The Lab, we welcome Art Chang, a friend I met in a restaurant in New York 15 years ago. Art is a true Renaissance man, entrepreneur, investor, technologist, activist, and finance guy. He's done everything from small startups to his most recent work as managing director of J.P. Morgan Chase, and now he's running for the mayor of New York. Welcome, Art. Welcome, Art. Thank you. So nice to be here. You're where today? I am in Brooklyn, New York. Tell us a little bit about your run for the mayor's office. In the, uh, in the TED Talk speak, what's your why? I'll be, I'll be extremely short. New York isn't working for anyone. In the 35 years that I've been here, I moved here in 1985, this is the first time that I've experienced that Everybody uniformly agrees it isn't working. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, you're black or you're white, you're a small business owner or you work for a large corporation. It doesn't work for anybody. And well, what's wrong and how is it going to come back? Whatever back means. The question is, how is it going to do this? Is it going to come back with repeating the same mistakes of the past? Or are we going to come back with more equity, fairness, and justice so that we can lift all boats and have a much more stable, long-term, healthy, and resilient city and economy? And I obviously prefer the latter. <laughs> but if we're going to do that, it means that we actually have to do some real structural changes and real structural reforms. And the question is, who is going to do that? Who is capable of doing that given where we are in our moment in history. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I looked at the candidates and I said to myself, if folks have spent their careers in elected office, they are not equipped to do this. We can just look at our current mayor. If they have run agencies before, well, didn't they actually help get us into this situation? And then if they come from the outside, like I am, do they have the breadth of experience working inside of government, being able to leverage the private sector? And then actually what I believe is that we have to do and undergo a digital transformation of City Hall. Mm. And who has done that? That you know, I don't have all the answers, but I have done those different things, done things like building the city physically. I've worked on digital transformation in some of the largest corporations and also in government. I've led those projects. I've implemented those projects. They've been successful. I've worked in almost every area that the government touches in New York City. One person can't do everything, but I've come as close as I think someone someone maybe ought to and maybe more than I should have. That's amazing. Jason and I have some New York stories. Won't get too far into them, but I'll tell you, it's hard to hear that assessment just because I'm not alone when I say that New York City is a point of pride for a lot of people in this mm -hmm. country. And it's an amazing, unique place. I've had some incredible experiences there, but it's interesting because Art, what you're saying is echoing what everyone I know living in New York City is saying right now. But it's it, it's a shame because it really is such an amazing place. It's, it's a place that's revered all over the world. Jason, and I ran into each other there once. Was, I mean, like just strange, strange things like that. So we're we're glad to hear that you're taking on the big task. Yeah, and a healthy, vibrant New York is a healthy, vibrant America as a foreigner who lived there for 10 years. And it's interesting, we had on the lab Sam Levy, who's a friend of mine from school here in Sydney, and he worked his way up through stage production and he's got two great shows on Broadway. He's lived in New York for 15 years and he's working closely, I think, with the government as they shut down Broadway. So his shows uh, come from away, which is the story of 9-11 and the planes diverted mm -hmm. up into oh, yes. mm -hmm. 
up into Canada. And the other show he has is, I think, called Six Wives, which is all about Henry VIII. Great show. Of course, all of it ground to a halt last March. And he had some really interesting perspectives about the Broadway and how much business that drives and how they're thinking about how could they open Broadway again. And they're looking at ridership on the subway to kind of figure out are people moving around and could we really support that part of New York. But I think, you know, for Manhattan, New York, yeah, a thriving, fantastic New York lifts all boats across the states in a way. The other thing I I was just saying to Chris before the podcast, I have a dear friend who's a running coach who's from Brooklyn. She's actually German originally, lived in Brooklyn, husband's Australian, and they got out on the last plane on March 20 of last year and has moved into Sydney. So we run every couple of days and talk about Brooklyn and New York and they were sort of saying the same reflections you were having, Art, that it's just not working and you need systemic change. And I think in the corporate world, you've obviously seen that the digital transformation and other things that are so required. The idea of applying that into a city is super exciting. I did want to ask one thing. If I think about New York and mayors in the past, we've had Giuliani was an in that era, he was America's mayor and he cleaned the streets up, which is like, that was kind of a remarkable achievement then. But Bloomberg um, Bloomberg is an entrepreneur. How do you regard his performance? Yeah, well, well, this goes back to empathy and where you sit. So I worked under Dinkins and Giuliani in city mm. government. And I've been appointed by Bloomberg to the campaign's finance board and then reappointed by de Blasio. So I've experienced four mayors. Giuliani gets far more credit than he deserves because there were fundamental things that were changing in the nature of the people in the city during the time when he became mayor. He may have accelerated certain things and changed certain behaviors, but it came at a tremendous cost to the city. Right, Huge increases in prison populations and jail populations. Mm -hmm. Tremendous damage to communities and families and people who never recovered from that. So you go, well, maybe he did some good things, but he also caused long-term damage. And it's difficult for me, I'm not a historian, to look back and kind of value one over the other. Bloomberg, obviously a very data-oriented guy, very focused on efficiency, but his blinders came from where he sits, right? He is a an older white man mm. who grew up with affluence, became immensely wealthy, had very little experience walking in the shoes of the average New Yorker, especially New Yorkers of color. During his term, his 12 years, there was very little low-income housing built, if any at all. Right. We had this, this policing methodology, right? The stop and frisk. Mm. Yeah. And also continue to catch up all of these innocent black and brown people in their snares and ruin their lives in a permanent way. We've talked a bit about the, the various challenges facing New York. If you could sum it up, I mean, it's extraordinary watching the <laughs> pandemic and sort of, I think of restaurant owners in New York right now and the, all of that. I mean, could you identify the top three? <laughs> like, you, let's think of the first day in the chair. Like, what's the top three things you've got to tackle immediately? Yeah. I'm going to say something that may be surprising. I believe New York will be, again, the best place to live and invest in and start a business. And I believe it because I've seen it. And we can do this. And there are three things that we do need to do. So you asked three things. Oh, good. Three things that we need <laughs> On the campaign trail with that. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't plan this, so nice no, no, job. No. <laughs> So the first thing we have to do is we have to protect our community. We have to end the eviction crisis. Um, I have a plan to eliminate the over $1.2 billion in debt that small businesses and residential tenants 
have accrued from the eviction moratorium. We need to reverse homelessness, a rise in homelessness. We need to stabilize our small businesses. And then we need to implement universal child care, right? Because we know that the single biggest population to be affected negatively by COVID has been women who've mm-hmm. had to choose between paychecks and their children. And they have chosen their children, right? We have the, the employment rate in the United States of women is where it was in 1989. Is that right? In nine months of this COVID pandemic, we have reversed 30 years, three decades of economic progress for women. Oh boy. So that is step one. Step two is that we have to organize City Hall so that it is working for growth in this city. We need to change this punitive and reactive leadership into one which is strategic and collaborative. Small business is another great situation here. If you can talk to any small business owners, they talk about, they complain about the conflicting and almost arbitrary enforcement of different regulations. Well, we should streamline that into a single ombuds person. Everybody is orienting toward the health and safety of New Yorkers. So why can't we all just define that together as our common vision? You know, we have all these problems that are intersectional from addressing COVID to education to bringing the arts and entertainment back. Well, we Mm -hmm. need to actually think about those as intersectional and reorganize the city's agencies to work in a collaborative, integrated fashion, thinking about the people of New York as customers. We need to make this the most user-friendly city in the country. And then the third thing is really data, because without data, you can't have transparency or accountability. So the first thing I would do is, let's say, take all the city's data, and let's actually make it really visible. Let's make it really easy for people to see, to show, to create a baseline for where we are today. So then under a Chang mayorship, we can actually see what is working and what's not working Mm. and hold me accountable. If you look around the states or around the world, we had this conversation last week around sustainability and where's winning and where's not, and our guests said, you know, Costa Rica is this epic example. Costa Rica is net zero 10 years ago and they're amazing, but you, didn't, you wouldn't really think about Costa Rica. If you think about cities that are run brilliantly, do you do you see like is Amsterdam run well or Seoul or Tokyo or do you, have you sort of looked around the world and said, that's a city that uses data or that's a city that's a user-friendly city? Mm. Or There are lots of cities who do really great things. Like I would look to Barcelona and Paris, mm. for example, for their streetscape and the integration of small business mm. and non-carbon emitting transportation. I might look at um, Nepal for its national happiness metric Mm -hmm. and its success, therefore, in orienting its resources to successfully combat COVID. But I think the number one thing that I heard was um, about New Zealand as a country. A a friend of mine uh, went to a conference in New Zealand before COVID. People in childcare were asking the health minister or health education minister, how, like, why isn't the state helping more and the things that it could be doing more? And my friend turned to the person who asked afterwards and asked, wait, you actually ask your government for advice? <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! You so know, that, that to me is like an aspiration. If yeah. over the course of the next, you know, four to eight years people began to see the Chang administration as one they could go to for advice. Yeah, whether it has to do with safety in their community. Mm-hmm. Or the garbage, better way to pick up the garbage or clear the snow or advances in childhood education. Hmm. That would be an amazing city to live in. I would be proud to be 
live in that city. Since yeah. their job is actually to serve their citizens, it's just that we've forgotten that. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the, that's the funny thing. You know, Art, listening to what you just said, one of the things I couldn't help but notice was that you described a problem in government that is the same kind of problem that we sometimes experience in corporations or any business where at some point you're trying to figure out why this thing isn't functioning the way it should. You're looking at the various metrics and at some point you realize things aren't flowing through the, the organization to serve the, the customer, or in this case, the citizen. Instead, they're hung up in some individual stovepipe, right? They, they, there's some department that has a different agenda from some other department. They're not talking and that's causing problems. Is there something more you can tell us in regard to how you tackle that at a government level? Because you know, at a, at, at a corporate level, honestly, it doesn't seem as hard because people have gotten kind of used to this idea that at some level, if you have too much of a fiefdom, someone's coming to break it up, right? That's That usually doesn't hang out too long anymore because there's a financial interest aligned to it. But it seems to me that in government, it might be a little harder because there's relationships and powerful people and, and there isn't necessarily a reason for two sides to work together unless you can get real interest influence in there. So maybe you could just speak more to that. Well, having worked in both, I can say mm -hmm. that they are more similar than different. Yeah. yeah. You know, and what's similar, and I think the most jarring is that what I would call the intellectually lazy way to do things is to look top down. Mm -hmm. Right. You look at the biggest thing. You look at the biggest department, you look at the biggest product, the thing with the most revenue or the most losses. And the same thing in government, you know, you, you have COVID, so you want to deal with hospitals because there are fewer hospitals, you know, it's easier to think about managing that. And so you're trying to push things down. It's kind of like standing at the mouth of the Hudson River and trying to push up. Yeah. Rivers don't flow up, they flow down. So it's much easier. It's in some respects, it, it, the hard part is actually looking at the death by a thousand slices problems, mm. right? The things that get done manually in corporations or in government over and over and over again. And when you add up those things, they add up so much friction. They create so many inefficiencies and such mm -hmm. a distance to being effective. And if you solve those things, which are the small things, and you solve them in a bottom up way, mm. it's like creating the, the, the tributaries to the Hudson. Right. They start affecting them at all the different branches and the data and all the good stuff starts flowing downstream. That's the way that it should work in my view. And I, um, what we've learned, if anything, from technology over the past 20 years in particular is that that's what it actually does. On Facebook, Facebook doesn't tell you what to do. Facebook doesn't do the work. Every person on Facebook hmm. does the work. Right. You're all producing data that feeds Facebook. And what they do is they organize that data and they sell advertising against that data. You're all doing the work. And so when you think about it that way, that's a system, right? That's a platform that is a model for how governments and large enterprises could be thinking differently about how to solve problems that they have. Um, and I just, you know, finished a project, not finished, it's still ongoing, but it kicked off a program at JP Morgan in the knowledge management area. Now every person can find, every lawyer can find a lawyer, legal knowledge anywhere in the world. Mm. Well, that's amazing.
it's funny. We end up talking about systems a lot on this show, don't we, Jason? We do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we also ask our guests often, not always, but almost always, if they have something that is a myth in their world that they would like to debunk because we like debunking myths. Yeah. You know, you know, I think the myth is that it's impossible. Oh, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody looks at the challenges and the difficulty, the complexity of New York, you look at it and you're in awe of it. And if you're running for office, you're looking at the awe of it. And if you make an incremental, make incremental progress and everybody, you know, you think you're going to get hailed as a savior. But when you go back to systems, if you apply Mm. systems thinking Mm -hmm. to this, you actually see that there are lots of interconnected issues. And so if you push on a single area, you may actually be able to solve a number of things in one fell swoop. Mm. Universal child care is a great one, mm. right? Because we're talking about the ability for women to pursue careers and have jobs, to um, take care of families, to d- go back to school. For the kids, it's there's a level playing field for health, for nutrition, for brain development, for physical development, for health care. It becomes a single point for delivery of support services and education mm. Family can actually do better. You know, things like diapers. Yes. You know, <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Only took 28 minutes, but we got there. <laughs> It felt felt very natural. Yeah, I see an airlift, an airlift from Australia. It doesn't matter because they biodegrade. <laughs> Absolutely, but, um, but but it is a thing where you can see that, and it provides jobs for could provide jobs for tens of thousands of women, right, who are employed in these childcare centers, right? What a boost to the economy! Mm. So there's a University of Chicago Nobel laureate who estimates that if we had comprehensive childcare, that the U.S. economy could have a 13% ROI annually. It is amazing. That one thread, just as you say, systems thinking, and all the data from Europe where they have universal childcare in some of these places, the health outcomes, obesity, like all this stuff, it's extraordinary. So, yeah, I hadn't actually thought through the the employment opportunity. And I was really surprised at that data point that we're back to 1989 for women in the workforce. That's extraordinary in just a year. Yeah, there's so much data that suggests that being able to influence people's lives early makes mm. such a difference. Yep. Uh, it really does make sense. And I would say just to, just to double underline something you said, Art, I think the, the people who often think it's impossible are thinking of all the experiences they've run into where they think people just won't change or mm. the, the status quo is powerful and it digs in. But great leaders can often find a way to get people to realize they want to do something great too. And they can be a part of that change, right? right? When somebody comes in and says, hey, guess what? If we just got this piece of equipment out of here and put this new piece of equipment out of in here, we'd be able to move 100,000 more units through here. Everybody starts looking at each other like, well, that'd be pretty cool. I want to be mm-hmm. a part of that, right? I mean, it's not like you're like, well, no, that's a terrible idea. I don't like production. It's just they've got to feel like they're, mm-hmm. they're at the table and it takes a real great leader to get people feeling like, yeah. oh, I'm a part of this. Like, I, I like being on this team. I, yeah. It's not me versus them. It's not this stovepipe or this function versus this stovepipe or this function. It's if we work together, we'll do great things. That's uh, that's extremely encouraging and inspiring. Right? It is. And I think it, it goes back to the core of you, which is that empathy, the life experience you've had and that empathy that you can bring to leadership. And it's an interesting idea, that the study of leadership and what it is to be a great leader. And I think at the core is that very high EQ and that empathy that mm-hmm. drives everything you do. 
So I'm excited for the city of New York coming into this election. Can you just remind me, as someone who lives 10,000 miles away and not a US citizen, um, when's the big day? June 22nd. It actually, so it's uh, New York City is an overwhelmingly democratic city. Mm-hmm. So um, I've never it, heard that before. I know it's a big surprise. You know, <laughs> only so. Oh, by the way, only 76 percent of New Yorkers voted yeah, for Biden yeah. Harris. Yeah, it's um, New York City. I live in Portland, Art. It's the same thing. <laughs> so the Democratic primary is essentially the election. We have, for the first time, we have something called ranked choice voting. Oh, yeah. So every every voter will have to will pick five candidates in order. And they'll just go down the rows, one, two, three, four, five, and the first candidate to pick up the majority will win. Right. Wow. So it's very interesting. And this is to combat the problem when, like, when, when de Blasio won in 2013, voter turnout was around 11 percent. 11. Yes, he won with... He That's won right. with 260,000 votes in a city of 8.5 million people. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, man. I had never heard that before. That's a, so that's, a real man, that's a real mandate, right? <laughs> <laughs> This is why we're doing ranked choice voting. We'll see if it works. Um, super excited. I think there's going to be more turnout than we've ever had before because people are very fired up after the presidential election and then the events of January 6th and the impeachment. And so people are all fired up when they're trying to take their political energy and put right. it someplace. So I think this is going to be a very important election for New York City. Wow. That's very exciting, Art. Very exciting. This has been such a great conversation, Art. Thank you so much. It's just given us insight into a world that people often don't know about. And uh, yeah, we're excited for you and hope that the the result goes your way. Thank you. Thank you. And for Thanks, people who want to learn more, you can go to www.chang.nyc. And one thing I do is um, I have open office hours. So anyone from around the world can go to chang.nyc and book a time. I have them seven days a week. That's so cool. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Art. And and good luck. Thanks, Art. Wonderful to catch up with you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Wow. Art Chang. And I had no idea he was so broad and deep. I mean, he's, it feels like he's done everything. The Renaissance man is an, an idea that comes to mind. Someone who can span oh. small startup to MD of JP Morgan Chase. That's pretty remarkable. Then his personal backstory, Korean immigrant, all of that makes for someone eminently um, suitable for public life, I reckon. Well, and I would think really attractive as candidate. Mm. I mean, you've got a guy who's interested in in finding a way to make a big city work, who's got experience in the city, got experience in the private sector. I mean, his comments about how he actually saw lots of similarities between dysfunctional government and dysfunctional organizations, companies. Mm-hmm. I found that fascinating. I haven't heard too many people talk about that that way. It's much more common. It maybe it's just in the United States, but it's much more common for people to talk about government as, as its own thing. Yeah, like like it's unstoppably bad. Is yeah. what a lot of people will talk about. Like, well. Mm-hmm. It's just this big mess, yeah. this big bureaucratic mess. And somehow, you know, corporations run, will run like a Swiss watch, but governments are a disaster. And, you know, the reality is, is once you've taken a look under the hood of any dysfunctional organization, it's got some of the same problems. Oh, no um, doubt. Yeah. No, I thought it was a, a really fascinating conversation and just the mechanics of running for the mayor of New York and the challenges that that city particularly faces now. Just it was a kind of unique conversation. I haven't ever spoken to a mayoral candidate totally. before. <laughs> no, you know, I don't. Well, actually, what am I saying? I, I like help the mayoral candidate. So I'm just, <laughs> what am I talking about? So, but hey, you know, did you really meet him in a restaurant? Yeah. <laughs>
I was too embarrassed to ask him about that meeting. And I had to actually ask him and said, hey, remember in New York, we would just moved to America and we're at some snazzy restaurant bar thing. It was really, we were at the bar ordering drinks and we started talking to him. And at mm-hmm. the time he was, he was the CEO founder of a business called Cookster. Cookster oh. was a digital play that was acquired by Random House, maybe, publisher of... Um, oh. Wow. Kind of cooking, cooking things. So he's a super interesting guy. Nice job, Art. Yeah, and then he went from there <laughs> to kind of moving along to bigger organisations. But yes, we did meet in New York at a bar. That's and yes, I'm too embarrassed to ask exactly the circumstances of that meeting. I might have had, I might have been six sheets to the wind. Yeah, well, you are very friendly <laughs> uh, when, you're, when you're six sheets to the wind, and you're, you'll walk up and talk to anybody. So that makes sense. It is nice to have friends that when they drink, they get happier. Yeah, that's true. You know, every, everybody's got the angry drunk friend. Yeah. And Everybody's got the sad drunk friend and everybody's got the... It's so true. You know, it's like, oh, oh no, oh Jason's Jason's had a few because he is really cracking jokes. Uh, here, I've, we just got to tell the story. I don't know. If I was in New York at one point. Oh, I don't know. I, gosh, when was it? It was probably some, some sometime in the aughts. I noticed a Facebook post that you were not far away in New York. And I was like, when we both at the time lived in Portland, about a mile from each other, maybe two. That's right. And I, I, I just shot off something like, hey, are you really in New York? And, and you said, yeah. And I said, you you got plans for lunch? When are you going back? And you're like, I'm going back tomorrow. And and I, I don't remember if we were on the same flight home or we were both going out of the same airport. Yep. Um, we were both going out of JFK. That's right. Yep. And we ended up just spontaneously meeting. And I think we had a sushi. We had sushi. It was so we fun. had sushi. Yeah, and it was really cool. And and then we all got we all took the subway back and screwed it up. And we were kind of late. And then your wife had to sweet talk get, help, help. Well, yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but you did. So okay, help us get through TSA. We were so so late. And this Kim turns on the Quebecois Canadian charm and the Red Sea parts for all yeah, Canadians. Was, there's no way we would have gotten on. No, we were so Without late. Her. Well, we just lost track. of I time. don't. I think we. Just just we were enjoying ourselves and we were debating whether we should take the subway or the or oh, that's right. cab. Yeah. And we ultimately thought, well, it's getting close to rush hour, so let's go subway. And I, that's don't, right. I think we made the we might have made, made the wrong, the wrong call. Wrong. <laughs> or, or even worse, we, we either one may have been a bad call. Like we may have just like we probably needed to leave a half hour earlier, no matter what we were doing. But we were just like, hey, and I think maybe we had hit the sake. I think we had we were slightly I, I, over we were over irrigated because I thought yeah. <laughs> You can't over-irrigate the fields. You'll stuff up the crops. But I remember thinking, (laughs) I'll have a few little suckies here just to ease me into the plane on the way back to Portland. But we'd forgotten about the logistics of actually getting out there. Yeah, because anybody who has taken that flight knows that it's a full hour longer than Uh, the flight out, which is always, it's like, you're like, on the way out, you're like, you know, it's not so bad. It's about five hours. You can do a little work, get a movie in. That's exactly right. Uh, Maybe a little nap if you're good at sleeping on planes, which unfortunately I'm not. But then on the way home, because you have that five-hour marker in your head, unless you tell yourself it's a six-hour flight, you will be like, that last hour feels like four. It's It's just just an expectation uh, management disaster. No doubt. And I think... um, I just remember, like, where the hell's Mount Hood? Come on, come on, uh-huh. land, yeah, land this bird. Path always goes by that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful sight when you're at the end of a long flight. All right, man. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for continuing to support our fun experiment here, and we love all of the things that you've been saying. We love all the new pass offs. We love all the new uh, five star reviews. Thanks for continuing to tell everybody else about what we're doing here, and we will see you next week. See you later, everyone. 
joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.